Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Sam Moses, and I am with my good friend, Matthew Garber. And Hello. today, we'd like to talk to you about the LUFF system. L-U-F-S. Loudness, RMS, everything that goes into how we measure loudness, how it got started... What are the good things about it? What are the bad things about it? And also, we'll talk about Matthew's solution to all of the craziness that's going on with Loudness Wars. So, Matthew... Which is a very subjective <laughs> solution. <laughs> but it's a good solution. So, are you ready, Matthew? I think so. I've actually been dreading this podcast for... <laughs> A while, and I think Sam knows this as well, and this might be one of those podcasts that never actually hit the air. Oh, it's hitting it. But um, it's something that's been bothering me for a long time, and it's not necessarily a rant. It's just something I believe that we need to get right, we need to clarify before we move forward. Yes. Um, As a disclaimer to some, this might come off as the InfoWars version of the Attack and Release (laughs) show. Uh, my name is not Alex Jones. Um, I'm a little portly like Alex Jones, but I'm not Alex Jones. I don't have a cool studio. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, it might be it might be a little interesting. It's gonna be great. So this episode is gonna require a little bit of background about me and what I enjoy doing. So uh, I went to school for. Uh, originally political science, but then I switched to psychology. Um, and the school I went to didn't have a behavior behaviorism major, mm-hmm. uh, even though that was really my main focus. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I pretty much told the dean and all of my professors, hey, I'm highly interested in behaviorism, and I would like to pursue this just because I really just like how people behave. I like the little things down, like all the way to the big things. Yeah. Um, and little thing can be when you're at a traffic light and it's red and you let off the brake and you move forward and even though it's still red, the car behind you and that car, like each subsequent car behind that car starts to move forward, but there's, but you can't go forward. So it's like just wondering like, why does that happen to the big questions of how do humans perceive loudness, um, and how to, Uh, go about testing for that. So that was pretty much what I studied. And, I mean, my main thesis paper was based around the whole Sully Sullenberger thing. I think he worked for United Airlines or U.S. Air. Yeah. Um, He's the guy who landed the plane um, on the Hudson River and no one died uh, after it hit a ton of geese. Both engines went out. And that paper was essentially on what defines heroism. Uh, what like how do people define heroism and is Sully Sullenberger a hero or not? Um, and B personally, I believe he is a hero because he saved all these people's lives. But on the other hand, he was like a glider pilot at the Air Force Academy, and he was an instructor for this, and he was an instructor for that airframe. Yeah, and he specialized in water landings. <laughs> and as a pilot, it's it's just kind of like you're not really like a hero. You just, you just did your job well. Right. Everybody lived. You did your job. Right. Um, but in general, I mean, that guy is a hero. But yeah. it's what 
Like, what about me makes me believe that he's a hero? Or anybody in the military, a police officer, a firefighter, anyone who puts themselves in danger for somebody else. Yeah. Like, what classifies that? So behaviorism is very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Um, Getting on to loudness and metering and everything that's going on. Okay. So the LUFS system, RMS and PEAK and all of that. Gypsy magic. So uh, before LUFS, we used something called RMS, which is essentially measuring audio power. And you can get into VU metering and whatnot, which is really just you're dialing in right. like a specific range that uh, will equate to zero. And then whether you are plus one or two above zero, you are one or two above that defined range. Or if you're over that into the most red areas on a VU meter you will be however much over that range. Right. Um, <clears throat> in terms of peak, peak is the highest, uh, like, the maximum, like, instantaneous, like, power yeah. that that waveform has at, like, that specific point. Um, it's not necessarily that you're going to be hearing that, and I, from what I've read, uh, RMS is a more accurate way, as opposed to peak, of measuring that. Right. Um, just a little bit of background, and I am reading completely off the internet, full disclosure. <laughs> um, on May 3rd, 1974, the FTC or Federal Trade Commission um, installed its amplifier rule to combat unrealistic power claims made by many hi fi amplifier manufacturers. Yeah. Um, and this essentially brought into um, creation like RMS and really holding. Uh, everything so that like like and that that's a, that's any regulation. I mean, it's just like hammering down like certain things that really need to be like hammered down on and talked about. Right. Um, so enters luffs. Yes. Um, from what I have read, and this is um, this group of people who will be listening to this episode are a very lucky few that I will be monitoring the metrics of. <laughs> And the and how this podcast performs will determine whether or not I actually, and the negative feedback it gets <laughs> will determine whether or not I will actually spend money, sign up for AES, and try to give a talk. Right. Because I believe that we are entering into uh, a place to where we can be like hitting a really big problem. Right. Uh, if this isn't corrected relatively soon. Right. <clears throat> so, okay, so... A little bit of background. You're gonna hear shuffling papers because there's like tons of papers that are gonna be shuffled. He's done his research. Yeah. Um. So have my papers pulling up my websites. Um. So anyway, this was all started in around 2004, maybe a little bit earlier, but is not uh, mentioned really prior to 2004. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we're talking about, just to clarify for everybody, we're talking about the left system, or you may see it as LUFS, which is become... Loudness units full scale. Exactly. That's become what supposedly every digital platform uh, measures. They have an optimal LUFS playback um, that determines how loud your song will be played back. And this is becoming an issue... Because, as Matthew's going to explain, the LUFS system is essentially kind of flawed. 
So, so and the actual system itself away. is not flawed, just for sake of saying it's flawed. Okay. Um, yeah. And the reason why this is kind of like one of those conspiracy theory podcasts <laughs> is because um, it's not flawed because of how it's currently being used. I believe it's being used in a correct way. Yeah. But I believe the testing for which, um, like how it was created was done in an inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. I think it was created I think it was created well for how for like the time it was created. Yeah. But we're <clears throat> we're ten or so years beyond that. Right. And our technology is far superior. And it is with the advent of the internet, it's so easy just to get this all straight. So right. uh, essentially L U F S or LUFS uh, makes the claim that um, and and it's funny because people blindly claim this right. and just because they've read it somewhere. Right. And it's like you need to go back and actually read the research on why it's claiming this. Right. Um, because I believe it's flawed. Yep. Um, it, it essentially claims that the, it measures and is uh, has been calculated based on the way that we perceive loudness and sound. Right. Um, and I want to go into this. So this study was created in 2004. Uh, the paper was published in 2006. If you would like to look it up, it is recommendation ITU-RBS1770. Um, getting into who the ITU is, it is the International Telecommunication Union Um, It is also in accordance with the EBU, which is the European Broadcasting Union. You'll see that a little bit as well Mm -hmm. as you go through this. And um, what essentially it goes into covering, and I will flip into it just so that there's no paraphrasing. Um, Essentially, um, uh, reading just the introduction, just a little bit of it, There are many applications where it is necessary to measure and control the perceived loudness of audio signals. Examples include television, radio, broadcast application, where the nature and content of audio material changes frequently. In these applications, the audio content can be continually switched between music, speech, and sound effects, or some combination of these. Such changes in the content of the program material can result in significant changes in subjective loudness. Um, So... I'll stop there. Um, <clears throat> so it, and then you have a, a paper that goes pretty in depth about how they conducted the study. And um, I mean, that's great. I love these papers. Um, so where to go from here? So I'm going to kind of get into how they tested things. Yeah. And I, I was overseas a couple months ago, and I was jet lagged at four in the morning, and. I decided I would write an email and send it to Sam and my good friend Christian Steinmetz, who's who listens to these, and uh, he's been an awesome voice and chiming back in. And I really want to have him on here because he, yeah. uh, I think he in the future will be design. He's smart enough; he's gonna be designing these like AI platforms, yeah, um, on like per- perception and whatnot. So <laughs> keep your eye on that kid. <laughs> if he ever has a company, get stock in it. Yeah. Um, so essentially, I titled this email as "If normalization is the future, don't half-ass it." Right. So, what is normalization? Normalization is essentially a specific level that no one can decide on, which is true. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, everything else is right. has a different LUFS rating right. uh, or level, and essentially, if you are above 
that that set level, uh, they will reduce the volume uh, through whatever means, limiting whatever right. that until you hit that level. If you are below right. it, they will raise it to that level. And this is so, say, if you were to go from listening to Mozart to Kanye, you're not going to have a massive uh, variation in mm-hmm. uh, in sound, or I'm sorry, in, in level. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and this is awesome. This is really cool, and I think it's very important. Yeah. And if anybody is interested in taming the loudness war, I believe this is the way to go. Yeah. Um, and... So, but per all of this uh, documentation, they're essentially saying that, and and who wrote it and who was prepared for, it was prepared for telecommunications and radio broadcasting. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, we're, we're, we've moved a lot past all of that right. and into streaming and whatnot. And it's being adopted into industries that I do not believe that it was ever intended for. Right. Or at least in how... Um, in its current form, I don't believe that it is superior enough to hold up right. to what is about to happen in the audio industry. Yeah. And that's what this whole talk is about. Yeah. So that was the intent. If yeah. normalization is the future, do not half-ass it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be reading for a, a bunch of this, so I'm sorry if uh, it sounds like I'm droning on. And then I'll have Sam Chinaman um, just because um, I like Sam's opinion. He's an awesome <laughs> oh, dude. Thank so. you. <clears throat> Okay, so the intent of what I wrote uh, in my mini rant. Uh, the main factor on why I was even remotely interested in looking into the love system uh, is, a, is as a system of accuracy is because uh, producers, music made, makers use it blindly, claiming that they've cracked the code on how we as humans perceive sound without being able to front any evidence for this claim. Right. And this is, this is very true. You go on forums, you go anywhere else. Right. And if you actually dig into it and you try to combat any of their claims with, like, what actually happened, yeah. they'll eventually just say, oh, well, that's the way it is. It's right. like, no, that's not <laughs> how you actually handle something scientific. Right. Um, I wanted to delve into these claims and uh, being, I consider myself a behavior as a major, uh, this interests me. Um, <clears throat> this is not me saying the current system sucks. I do, however, believe it is flawed. I believe it. I, I believe in a like a strong look, which needs to be taken into why, in fact, the Luff system exists, and if one, it is being utilized correctly, and two, utilized for its intended purpose. I believe that it's being used for something far more widespread than its intended purpose. Hence, the need for it to be revised uh-huh. and revisited. Uh, per one of the earlier papers written on the subject, normalization was created to combat the loudness variances in television and radio. Most of the original tests were done in mono, which right. I always found interesting. Yep. Because even though a song may be in stereo, most of the stereo information is lost in the transmission as a handful of stations have claimed that they only broadcast in mono. Right leaving it up to the receiver in the car uh, to, or wherever you're listening uh, to split that up into stereo information. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it'd be mono left and mono right. right. Um, uh, but the original stereo information typically does not translate well over the bands and is normally lost right. amongst the airwaves. Uh, the Luff system, in my opinion, was never intended to be a wide, as wide-sweeping as it is today. Yep. This is my massive like thesis 
statement. Right. I believe this is why such a small sample population was used. It was merely meant to control advertising loudness from scheduled program loudness. Um, a small population size would be all that was needed for the battery of test uh, for it to be successful if, in fact, normalization stopped there, but it did not. Yeah. Okay. So I have three problems and I have three solutions. Right. And then there's like some stages in how to fix this. Right. And I'll probably chat with Sam a little bit in between. Yeah. Um, Let's just summarize what you just said because I think what yeah, you just sure. said is like huge and no one knows about it. And I think <clears throat> like for me, when I started researching this too, because I wrote a blog one time on on loudness like a year ago. And the big thing that you just said was like this system was created for basically TV and broadcast. Not in the UK specifically. In the UK specifically. It was <clears throat> not created for Spotify, for YouTube. It was not created for people to make plugins based on this system and make money off of. It was not created for people to compete with loudness and who's got the louder track and whatnot. And it was created and the testing was done, which you'll go into that more, it was done in mono, which to me is insane. Like, for our audience, I'm sure everybody knows what mono and stereo is, but we listen in stereo, at least what we think is stereo. (laughs) We have two ears. Right. And these tests that we're using the results for to dictate all digital playback currently was based on a mono test. And that's nuts. And real quick, yeah. um, <clears throat> just interjecting, um, this isn't a fact check, I promise. <laughs> so th- there were stereo tests. Ooh, ooh. However, as we'll get into, um, they kind of, they were able to use them, but not really well. Yeah. Mainly because no one really could tell a difference yeah. like in the testing yeah. when a stereo sample was used as opposed to a mono signal. Right. So yeah, that's good. Thank you. For it, it gets weird. That. It's down the line. Right. So. Yeah. Sorry it's if just, I cut you off. No, you're fine. I want you to do that always. <laughs> like, get the real fact. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think it's crazy. Like this system that everybody is like debating and going bonkers about, like on gear slots and Facebook forums, and like Seriously. you have big companies making plugins and making, making money. money Tons, thousands and thousands of dollars. You have, you have artists and labels and AR people chiming in about where they want people to hit their LUFS and making claims about if you hit this number, this will be it'll be louder here, and if you hit this number, it'll be quieter. And really, nobody, from my experience, almost no one knows what they're actually talking about. And it's not really their fault because this system, like you just said, was never intended to become as wide sweeping as it is today. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think that's the thing for me that why I'm so passionate about this and you are too. And is that like <clears throat> the system we're using is so, um, it's, it, it had a contextual purpose and somehow. Um, it became this universal standard so far that everybody's fighting over. And I just feel like the reason we're fighting over it and loudness is still a thing is because um, because everybody's confused and no one really knows how this happened, but we're here and now the person with the loudest voice in the room is dictating like they've decided they've become the expert on LUFS, but no one wants to talk about 
how it I was mean, and that's how the internet works, though, right. is that it's not about someone who has the facts winning. Right. It's about, like, the loudest idiot in the room. Mm-hmm. And they get all the attention. They make the stupid plug-in right. that's not even based off of the correct information. Right. And it's like, let's actually put this down. And if we're going to move forward and if we're going to do something productive as an industry, right. Like, can we please do this correctly? And I'm not saying this to get any money out of it or anything. Right. I'd love to help out with any testing that happens. And I imagine right. Sam would as well. Oh, yeah. It's like, let's just get this right. I just want to be a mastering engineer. It, <laughs> right. that, that's it. Right. So it's like I'm literally like I'm not going to complain about something, right. give you a problem without giving you a solution. Right. And I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it and you can edit it, you can do whatever you want with it. Right. Um I don't know if we have the all the technology to make it happen, but I think we have a better way than what we currently have. Right. So yeah. Well, let's my, dive It's just an idea. Yeah, let's dive in to problem number 1 and Let's have, I want you to kind of explain how the test was conducted and all that stuff. Yeah. So whenever you're conducting these types of tests, um, you want to have a specific, you want to have a, like a sample population or people that are tested Yeah. Um, that is relative to um, like the grand whole essentially. Yeah. Um, so if I'm going to be testing something that's going to affect a hundred people, perhaps I maybe only need to test 10 or 15 to see if there's a correlation, maybe 20. Like if you want a really strong correlation, you tested 20% of the overall population as a sample and you can draw a correlative saying, hey, or you can draw a correlation saying, hey, these people, the 20% of this population performed this way. Yeah. I have with relative certainty, like I'm able to say that I believe that statistically the rest of the population, the other 80 will perform this way. Yeah. Like, like the exact same way or very close. Right. Um, especially if it's a pretty tight sample population. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so th- that's why this is important. Yep. Um, now, um, they did some stuff right and they sp- they spread out a lot of the testing and everything in labs over five different countries and stuff like that. And yeah. So getting like people who just weren't in like a specific area. But let me get into <clears throat> let me get into reading this about sample population. Yeah. This is my first problem. Okay. <laughs> and this is with regards to how the Luff system was created and tested. This is all how it was created and tested. Yeah. Okay. Go. So the total sample size of the population for these tests were less than 350. And the reason why I said three hundred less than 350 yeah. is because in some places I read it was like 293, some yeah. was like 315. Yeah. And sometimes it gets a little hard to track with the verbiage. But right. all in all, uh, the total sample population of these tests were less than 350 participants. Yeah. In, all, study con- in the whole world. <laughs> yeah, in, in the whole world. This isn't the UK or anything. Right. Um, but it's. I understand why they did it, and you'll understand why they did it this way later. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Right. <laughs> a study conducted by the Edison and Triton Digital claims that 47% of Americans over the age of 12 will listen to some form of online radio every month. That equates to 124 million people. Right. Honing in on that number of ages... 12 to 24, like 12 to 24 years old, Yeah, that 47% figure rises 
roughly to 75%. Yeah. This is, the source is uh, social statistics, if anyone wants to look that up. Yeah. Uh, fact-checked all of this, please. Like, fact-checked the crap out of me. Um, uh, these are statistics for one country, Amer- right. America. That's right. it. Yep. Uh, on this basis alone... Given that three hundred, given that a three hundred and fifty people population were surveyed, which num, which that number surveyed is less, and once again in mono, right, that would mean that for every person of that study, each subject spoke on behalf of three hundred and fifty four thousand two hundred and eighty five point seven two people in America <laughs> alone. I know it's crazy. So and it's like I understand it's like you can get into some like Senate levels and stuff like that right. and that's how many you like or a House level not so many one House right. people one House member speaks for but that's America right. alone that's not the world right and this is going global oh. uh, in one instance the report was actually rejected the the Luff's report that everybody's stuff is on right. currently people making money on in one instance this report was rejected for having too small of a sample population size yeah. a higher sample population is necessary for more reliable data. We have more power than ever in today's day and age to get a higher participation rate to achieve a sample population. Right. So what's it, like one point something billion people on the earth? Let Mm -hmm. me Google this. How many people on the... Sam, get out your calculator real quick. (laughs) Okay. Calculator open. Holy crap. Yeah, I was way off. Okay. Okay. So each person in the test, yes, with seven point four four two billion people on the Earth, yes, divided by three hundred and fifty people max in yes. this test, yes, spoke for twenty one million two hundred and sixty two thousand eight hundred and fifty seven point one four two nine people. That is crazy. So that is insane. Nowhere right. else in the world is that actually like a thing, right? Um. I should be embarrassed that it took me that long <laughs> to figure that it's out. It's a big number. My eyes are really bad on my computer. I'm going to just make excuses for this. So that's crazy. It is crazy. Okay. So that's just problem one. Right. Um, so problem basically, two is the testing environment. To recap problem one, this whole test was <laughs> created by less than 350 people, essentially. And... The results of it, one person speaking for how many millions of people? 22 million? One person spoke for 22 million people. Yeah. Based on those results, uh, the left system was created and regulated, and now every digital platform uses it as a playback-like regulation. Yeah. (laughs) That's just insane. Like That is so crazy. I'm not going to make claims on what the appropriate sample population is for, right? But what it should be, but yeah, what I will say is that it should be over 350, right? So I mean, it's just, in my opinion, is negligent, right? But I don't think that's in terms of laziness. I just think that was in terms of and why this test eventually was approved. I think is because of like. What it was going towards, right. it was going for TV and broadcast. Right. The context of where it was created originally was correct, and now ten years later, it is so outdated. <laughs> I won't. I won't even say that it's an appropriate 
like sample population, even for what it was going for, it was yeah. still low. That is, and yeah. you'll actually figure out why it's low in the next point. Yeah, but it even though it's still low, it's still like it should it should have never passed. It sounded like the government was like, yeah, okay, just pass this, right? And that's what it sounds like. So that's problem one: the sample population. Yeah. Uh, problem two is the testing environment. <clears throat> so, uh, I give a lot of merit to where these tests were carried out. Uh, more to the scope of they were carried out over five testing environments in five different countries. I don't have the countries labeled. If someone wants to know, you can email me. <laughs> People listen to music differently all around the world. Uh, I can also give alleviation to the lack of population for the sake of how long these tests were. Now, uh, listen to this. Um, this may also, once again, this may also be why the sample population was so small. In all, each subject had to address some 90-plus listening comprehension problems. <laughs> this is insane, right. folks, which required them to make um, some form of decision of loudness of what they're listening to. Um, I'm, unsh- I- I'm very unsure of each participant, but this sounds insanely fatiguing, right? Um, uh, like especially, like especially on like a physiological and psychological level, right? Um, I'd like to also ask if this would be compromising, since the ear has its own protection system when listening right. to a source for too long, which replicates the likes of compression, right? It's like if you're ever driving in your car and you have someone like who has like a really like say like brittle like like symbol that they're hitting. Yes. And it's like eventually by like song two or three, you don't hear it anymore. Right. Um, that like, it doesn't mean it's not there. It's probably just, you've gotten used to it. Right. Um, and your body is freaking awesome. Right. And it's like, it's incredible. Like I, if I heard it once, I heard it a million times when I was studying like physiological stuff is that we do not know how the brain works. Right. It's like, we have all of this, information and ways to test stuff and we still do not know how like the brain works because it is that insane of a like a mechanical thing Mm -hmm. so last part of this i would suggest a method for max sample population who listens in their own quote-unquote daily monitoring environments right while while comparing their results to that of a control population group who then test in a laboratory right so okay so in, in review all five of these um, test locations in all these five different countries, they were all done in a lab. Right. Um, people don't listen to music in labs. Right. Um, however, the lab is great um, for the reason that it would make a fantastic control group. Right. Because you know what these people are doing. You know what they're like the decisions that the decisions that they're making. Right. And it's very reliable data. Right. Um, you can probably have the highest amount of correlation in, um, in, in the lab setting. Yeah. So um, my next problem that I had with this is that they had to, like, do 90-plus listening comprehension problems in one sitting. I know, that's Which insane. required them to make some form of decision in the loudness they were listening to. Right. This is my actual thought of why... The sample population is so small because it took them so darn long <laughs> right. to answer the questions. I right. mean, I mean, just in like a basic psychological thought, right? Like, 
90 freaking problems. It pro- like you do one of those personality tests how long right. it's going to take you. Right. I mean, but if you have to actually think it's like was this louder or quieter than the thing right. that I thought? Yeah, 90 and 90 times. Freaking 90, bro. I mean, just think about what we do like okay, so if we do an album a day, that's cruising for most that's like yeah. really fast. And that's 10 to 12 songs. That's just 10 to 12 different say overall level changes that we're trying to balance out and say, yeah, this is louder than this and this is quieter than this. That's only 12 sources. And these people are going over 90 different sources who are not trained either, which is another thing. Like I can tell when something's louder or quieter because I've been training myself. But I know like with the normal person, which is why we get paid to do what we do, <laughs> because mm-hmm. even a mix engineer and a normal person has a really hard time distinguishing, is this actually better <clears throat> or worse? And that to me, like within this is like you've got regular people, maybe you had some audio people, but they're listening to 90 different things trying to determine. But it's even harder to discern, is it better or worse? Right. Um because you also have to say, is it better because it's louder? Exactly. <laughs> or is it worse because it's quieter? And right. that's where it gets like really into the freaking right. weeds, man. Yeah, with perceived loudness and all that. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe like that was what they had to do. And then Kudos to them. those results determined this whole system that everyone is going off of now. <laughs> yeah, and just because there's 90, like there's a lot of questions, doesn't mean that it's a better test. Right. I mean, it's kind of like you look at like menus in a restaurant. It's like yeah, all these like restaurants are now going to like these smaller menus because mm-hmm. it's easier on people. Mm-hmm. You got to keep less junk in the kitchen. Like everybody knows what they're doing. You're not right. having to like shuffle around and right. just easier. It's like as like stuff gets simpler, so does life. Right. And it's like you could very easily do this with – 15 20 questions like at the absolute max right but and and I have a way to that I believe we can get to this yeah um okay now we're going to kind of go on to problem 3 and this yes. kind of once again this gets a little bit into the weeds right um this is the last problem that I had with everything <clears throat> okay I should probably we, we'll probably link this paper yeah below. we can link it yeah um you can probably find it on it's like Fireside FM slash Attack and Release Show. Um, that's where we're going to have all this linked. Yeah. Um, also, if anybody knows of anybody, because this is getting global like coverage, which is awesome. If anybody knows anybody who's a part of this test, oh yeah, like give us their contact info. I'd love to know like the how the test was, and, right? Like, like the environment and everything. I yeah, I think we have enough reach to where we might have somebody who knows somebody. Yeah, so probably. That would be great. Okay, problem three, replication method. Uh, once all of this data was gathered and an algorithm was created to determine what would be the best listening volumes, uh, music slash sound samples were projected on a quote-unquote rigid sphere, which was used to model the acoustic properties and dimensions of the human head. The sphere, quote-unquote, would then respond via the algorithm and adjust uh, the volume to a more tolerable range, higher or lower, essential basic attenuation. Right. Um, modern binaural heads and 360-degree audio techniques along with a human control group could significantly modernize and render uh, more accurate readings for perspective sampling, perceptive yeah. sampling. Yeah. Um, 
Now, what's interesting is the way that they actually came to how the human head perceives sound is essentially like a type of high-pass filter yeah. that they put on this. And you'll actually right. see this on, I think it's page... Uh, one is the introduction. Then they go through all the formulas. You have like your annex and everything. Uh, on page three, you have figure two, and it's essentially the responsive pre-filter used uh, for the acoustic effects of the head. Yeah. Um, and then you have like wavelength curves and stuff like that, and then yep. they get into like their loudness formulas. Uh, I won't get into that, but it's essentially like rudimentary, and they, they tried to make it simple. I mean, this mm-hmm. probably wasn't a high-budget thing. Um, but I'm just saying currently in 2018 now, which I believe this will be launched this year, right. uh, this, like, like we as people can do better. Right. Um, so, yeah, do you want to get into talking about why a... <laughs> like, I don't understand why a rigid sphere of all things were used. I know. Like, why what would... is what defines a rigid freaking sphere? sphere? I don't know. Like, I feel like, I don't know. It just, like, that alone to me is, like, okay, we did this. Okay, we did some On research. And we had at least some humans show up. Then we did, like, somebody was like, well, let's give them 90 different options, like, to figure questions and sources. <laughs> hey, Bill, I got this ball over here. Yeah. And then they're like, <laughs> okay, so how would you like to replicate this so we can like, <laughs> like come to a conclusion? They're like, ah, let's not use anything human, really. Let's do a rigid sphere. <laughs> yeah. And Nothing then- that resembles human. And it's like, I understand the necessity of needing something inanimate right. in order to render this algorithm through I and for it to make adjustments. I understand that. That's very important, and it actually goes into my solutions a bit right. um, and why that's important. But of all things, to choose something, and even in the text, it, it's in quotes a rigid sphere. Mm-hmm. So no one actually knows the material this was made out of or right. the acoustic real properties of it right. besides a simple high pass. Yep. And then, yeah, so... Just kind of blows my mind. It's nuts that that became like the uh, the standard or what they used to. That's what title, Spotify, YouTube, all right. of these like crazies yeah. are using for like this Determine thing and saying that like a rigid sphere and how an al- algorithm reacts through the listening capacities right. and capabilities of a rigid sphere is now is what is dictating, right? Like how, quote-unquote, humans perceive sound. This is the whole thing of, like, you get to this point in an argument with somebody, and they're like, well, this is how it perceives sound. Actually, on page X of this, like, ITURBS1770, this... They actually used a rigid sphere. They didn't even use a human head. Not like a like a severed. <laughs> this is derailed. <laughs> no, this is good. That's fine. Yeah, it's not. It's a like you didn't head. even use something to actually like figure this out. Like this right. is super low budget. Right. But I think they made it simple, and I, I think know, that yeah. was the point of. I mean, this. they made it simple, but because of what they were trying to do. Yeah, because of what they were trying to do. But now every digital platform is using this, and people, I'll say don't understand the left system. I have clients every day who don't understand loudness. Even even me showing them the documentation of the optimal playback and saying, like, your song will be turned down. Like, I'm not making this up. It will be turned down 
and if you people, printed minus three RMS. Yeah, and people it are turned down. Yeah, people are still saying that's fine. Uh, basically, I don't believe you. <laughs> um, yeah, make it louder, and I want to hit this target number. And that I think is like the two craziest things. Is like we're using a system that was created for something else ten plus years ago, and then we have a general public or like the people that are in the music industry mixers producers artists are all like they're uneducated in the left system which is fine like it's super confusing and that's why we're doing this and mm-hmm. took us took me months and months to even wrap my head around these ideas and how it was actually conducted but i think that is like it's just crazy <laughs> that we are fighting this system and that the other crazy thing is that people are profiting right now, which is to me just like shameful almost. That like the people that are making these plugins for the LUF system, like most likely they know this system is flawed or like, I mean, maybe the flawed is the word. I can't, I can't fathom a world where they think that this system actually like. Is how people perceive sound, right? Exactly, and I think that's the thing. Is you have some, but really, I know for a fact they have not read this documentation. Yeah, you have some. I know really for a fact of that. High up people in the industry who are viewed as the experts in sound or experts in mastering and playback, profiting off of the LUFS system, the left system, and they they probably either don't know anything about it. Or if they know, they don't care because they're just trying to make some money and be the loudest voice in the room. Like, because it's coming to me, the louder you get, that just screams that you actually don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I mean, if you have to scream. Right, exactly. What and is I, it actually showing? Yeah, I feel like that's what we have now in the industry is like, you've got people talking about, you know, RMS and LUFS and loudness and playback and like, the louder people get on the forums and on the tutorial sites and on like YouTube and people selling plugins, like the louder they're getting, the more they're just trying to cover up how much they actually don't know why this system is even in place and how it works. And it's just like why it was actually uh, created. I know, yeah. And, and I think how? that's the frustrating thing is like we're actually getting an inferior product for digital streaming. Because we're using this system currently, like it's like digital is already kind of nuts. Because I mean, you're kind of limited to what like quality that you can upload to right. these digital platforms, and right. now you're going ahead and you're using something that wasn't even modeled after something that resembles right, like a human right. And then you're just going and saying, "Oh, this is how we perceive sound," blindly right. saying it over and over and over I again. Know. And it's like, no, it's like this isn't actually how we perceive sound. Right. And it's like, can we please just get this right? Yeah. And then you can say it as much as you want. Right, exactly. And you won't be blind. And you'll yeah. actually know and you'll be educated and you can better help your clients. Right. As, like that was you should do. Yeah. I think that's the frustrating thing is I know that I am giving people a lesser than product because of this system and because they are so uneducated on it and they don't care because they're concerned that their music won't play back loud enough back to back with a song on Spotify. 
But within that too, the the ridiculous thing is that all these platforms are doing normalization. So it's like they're even evening out the songs anyway. So like <laughs> that's what it's like so confusing to me. Here, but here's here's where it gets even crazier. Yeah. So you have this whole thing that's been sw- swept in. Okay, so, and how this all got started for me is I went on a handful of forums and I started asking, hey, is there a good way to translate between the LUFS, I'm sorry, between RMS and Peak yeah. to the LUFS system? Right. I would like to offer my clients a better service. I would like to be a better mastering engineer for them. And if this is the way forward, I really think that there should be a way to translate these two. Yeah. And it started with me trying to figure out some type of formula to help me that I could then help other people right. who want to figure this out because yeah. it's just a different value system, but the value system doesn't make any sense, at least to me. It's just companies saying, oh, well, you need to be at this like setting. Right. And if you master over the setting, we're going to turn you down. Right. And it's like you're essentially, but then I dove into why that's actually a thing. I mean, this is why like my kid's going to be a troublemaker because he's going to like fact check his teachers. Right. Like, but it's like you can't blindly be led into like just be like, oh yeah, you have to do it to this level. And if right. you do it over this level, which the, the level changes. Right. Like there's like one month that's like minus 14, then it's like. Right. Minus three or whatever it is. It's like, or not minus three. Right. <laughs> minus 13, right. minus 12. Right. And then it's like they back off and it's like, what is actually going on? Because exactly. my client who I just delivered like a product for now has something that could possibly be getting turned down because you exactly. just changed your mind. Right. Exactly. So it's like this seriously needs to be something that is locked down. Right. And if normalization is the future, which I believe it is, yeah. um, for incredibly at least to me, incredibly good reasons. Yeah. Like, then let's actually move forward in a mindful way. Right. Yeah. And I'd prefer to not be that loud idiot, and I hope I'm not being that loud idiot, but no, I really not. hope that we can, like, start a dialogue. Right. So, the, yeah, and the other thing, like, I want to mention that I've noticed is a problem that goes into all this is so, like, you have, you have an optimal playback <laughs> from these platforms, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, Tidal, uh, iTunes. So they have a number that they're looking to playback stuff at based on LUFS. So if you hit that number, then that's great. If you're over it, they'll turn it down to be in there. If it's below, most platforms are turning it up. But the issue then gets into um, like overall dynamic range of how things are played back. So, like, this is something I struggle with. So, like, on Spotify, and you can find people who have done this on YouTube, like, different mastering, a couple different mastering guys have done this. Like, they will play back, say, like, a song from 1980 that is more dynamic and would be lower on the LUFS scale to begin with that gets bumped up to be, you know, in the optimal playback. So this song for say like just the choruses is playing back and this is just a random number cuz it's changing all the time. The final output ceiling of say Spotify. <coughs> so say this song plays back at like negative 3. So it's like finally in the choruses the snare hits up to negative 3 
but all the other time it's you know fairly dynamic and quiet. Technically, this song is playing back 2 to 3 dB louder than, say, a Skrillex song that's, like, super compressed, really, like, low RMS and, like, way low LUFS. So say it's, like, negative 4 LUFS and the target playback's negative 13. Okay, so Spotify is going to turn down Skrillex's song, but on average, from start to finish, the Skrillex song is going to play back louder than that 80s song because mm-hmm. it's more compressed and in your face and the dy- dynamic range isn't there. So overall, like the Skrillex song is never going to hit the negative three output ceiling, but for 95% of the other song, it's going to hover at, around negative five. Whereas mm-hmm. like the 80s song is going to hit negative three like for a few snare hits, but outside of that, it's going to hover around like negative 10 output. Mm-hmm. So you have that huge swing where this is where like we need a new system too um, of like, okay, technically the 80s song is playing back louder at the end of the day for 3% of the song. <laughs> but overall, the Skrillex song is going to be way louder the rest of the time and that is going to once again influence what people consider better just yeah. based on how our human ears work. And that I think even goes into like the. I'd be curious if we could get more info on the ninety things they had to, you know, the questions or sourcing, like determining like what were those things at? Was it like a quiet sound to a loud sound? Was it just like a pink sine wave? Like what? Yeah. What was happening? Because <laughs> that all drastically impacts like how we perceive things, and that's where like. You know, I use the rule, and you probably do too, is like, let's take the song to where it sounds best and forget the numbers, which is like, oh, that would be like great in theory. But the reality of where we're at right now is like, I mean, I get the pressure from labels and stuff and artists of like, I need it to be as loud as this is. And I can say all day long that, like, well, it's going to get turned down anyway, or it's distorting, or like, you're going to clip, and they're still saying, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, mm. just make it as yeah. loud as it can be, so it sounds like competitive and top forty playlists on Spotify. Yeah. So that's a whole other issue. But like, going to your solutions of like, I we need to come up with a solution that addresses those like what we're talking about, and then what I'm just talking about, which is like. The, the system is just like not very accurate. And I think it's coming from the problems we discussed, which were mm-hmm. like, you know, the system was originally made for something else. And now we've applied it to this much broader thing. And now we're dealing with the consequences of it, <laughs> reaping the benefits of that. Yeah. So why don't we um, let's dive in to maybe the first solution that sure. you've been thinking about, Matthew? So, in terms of these solutions, I'm not saying that this is a like the best way to do something. It's just an idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm somebody who 100% believes in not giving a problem without at least attempting to give a solution. Yeah. So this might be a good or a bad solution, but it's still <laughs> like an idea. Uh, in my mind, at least like a step in the right direction. Right. So solution one. Um, instead of labs, you have digital testing environments. Yeah. Um, 
I believe one of the fallible parts of this uh, 2004 testing uh, was that it was conducted, uh, like all these tests were conducted in labs. Uh, while this would make a good quote-unquote control group, like a group that you can like rely on essentially, um, you can always go back to it like, well, technically in a laboratory setting, we received this type of correlative data. Right. Um, and it's essentially like a neutral group of people, like people who are listening in a truly flat room. Yeah. Who are listening on high end, like reproduction systems and right. stuff like that. Like stuff that normal people wouldn't have the access to. Yeah. But it's like how normal people would react in an insanely good environment. Right. Even though. Everything else is not going to be a good environment. Right. That's what a control group is. It's it's yeah. like it's your reliable data. Right. So and but that's why we're not going to have five control groups. We're just going to have one control group. Right. Um. So people are not listening to music in laboratories, and that's the that's the point of this. Right. Um. Genres of music need to be tested where people routinely listen um, to this music, uh, whether that be living rooms, dorms, bedrooms, cars, etc. Um, I mean, ideally, if you're in a car or wherever, right. your EQ technically needs to be set at zero and everything, and those parameters will be covered. Um, this study also needs to be conducted on how people listen to music, i.e. headphones, earbuds, speakers, laptop, a hi-fi, if that's... Uh, I mean, those are starting to come back. Right. Um, I'm of the opinion that an internet-based test could be put together where the participant or participants played a series of high-resolution and controlled stereo wave and or flac files, probably a wave file that are more easy to play. Yeah. Um, of varying volume levels. And per a simple adjustment of say a fader, right. uh, you're able to turn to determine uh, their preferred listening volume. And over the course of the listening test, you record the movement of the fader. Right. <clears throat> and that's the only thing that you record. You record like what song and where the fader went. So right. you have like test one, it's going to be classical, and they're listening at fifty percent volume on their laptop, which right. is this, this, and this, and they move the fader up this much. Right. Um, I don't know. You might want to find a way to also collect data from like the volume button just to make sure they're not turning up and down the volume on yeah. their computer. Yeah. Um, it might be interesting data to collect. Uh, yeah. With enough of a population, you'll be able to see uh, a trend. Uh, before this test even begins, though, I would recommend in collecting uh, all of the data pertaining to where the people are listening and how and what their output volume is set onto uh, their playbook uh, playback device. Um, this is like a very like estimated percentage. Right. Um, <clears throat> this is all for catalog cataloging purposes. It would probably be the best uh, for these to be. Just multiple choice answers, or like, rec- you know, or you can just recommend certain uh, output volume parameters. Yeah, <clears throat> I would also recommend uh, the test to take no more than twenty-five to thirty minutes. I even yeah. think that's a bit high. I mean, yeah, when I'm mastering an album, I like maybe thirty, forty-five minutes max. I gotta go walk outside. Like, I'll go, like. Like I'll just go for a walk, or I'll just right. hang out in like my studio or something like that, or I'll right. go like change where I'm listening, just because like my ears start to get fatigued. Yeah, um, it's just a good mastering practice. So it's like if someone like me who listens to music as much as I do has to get away from it, then these right. people who don't probably also need to just to kind of rest their ears, right? Um, and make sure they stay rested. 
Uh, first and foremost, uh, this is to not fatigue the listener's ears, as I just said, compromising your data. You'd also want to do this to maintain their attention. I mean, 90 freaking problems is a lot of problems. Right. Yep. I'm sure there's a lot of distraction, and someone's like, shit, my kid's getting out of school soon right. or something like that. Um, it'd be best for this data to be collected into an ever-receiving pool of information. Once again, this is internet-based. Right. So collected into an ever-receiving pool of information, which can be referenced and updated as need be. The algorithm could always be updated per the changes in the pool, but to avoid a resurgence of the loudness war. So this, like, prevents future problems. Right. A recommendation of referencing your original data would be recommended. Right. So take this. This is just an example. You have 250,000 people respond uh, in the first wave of this. You collect the data, and you're going to have a relative correlation of this data. Yeah. I'd actually be very surprised if you did not have a correlation of this data because right. everyone's ears and how they work is generally the same. Right. Um, so as long as you collect this data, like what time they're listening and stuff like that, um, I mean, you should have that. So say your first 250,000 go to create this first version of the algorithm. Yeah. Well, then... After the next 250,000, you compare the first 250,000 to the next 250,000, and I, I, in theory, they should be the same. Right. And, I mean, 250,000 is way higher than 350. Yeah. So you, it's like you might not have an adequate sample population for 7.442 billion, but it's better than 300, less than right. 350. Right. So, <clears throat> so in... Uh, in grand scheme, if the algorithm ever needs altered, uh, it would be an idea that you could just essentially push a button and then you re, like, do how the algorithm like listens, right? And how like stuff is put out and whatnot, and um, like how and you actually will see over time how people are listening to music. Yep. I mean, this is so important because it's an to me, it could be an ever moving target. People listen to music probably a lot different in the '80s than they do right now because Absolutely. music's changed and styles right. changed. Yep. So it's like this has to be something that's ever evolving. Yep. Um, I don't think it's just like shooting blindly at like a dartboard or something. Right. So what do you what do you think about this? Do you think digital test environment's cool, or do you have any thoughts on how this should be retested if it is? I mean, I love I love the idea. Like of what you're talking about with having a volume like fader knob, like I think that keep it simple, man. Yeah, I think that's super simple and tangible to like what people are used to doing, which is having a volume up or down. And I think the big difference right now is that people are consuming music, like you just said, so much differently now. Like than even 2004. Yeah. I mean, people, yeah, 2004, I was probably on headphones already most most. And you probably were giving your computer a virus downloading right. music on LimeWire. Yeah, I was on LimeWire and BearShare downloading, yeah. you know, 96 kilobyte per second MP3s. And, like, yeah. I, think, I think that's the big thing is, like... <laughs> with dial-up. Yeah, with dial-up. Dial-up internet. Yeah. But, like, I... We're just listening and consuming music in such a different way right now. And I think listening in earbuds drastically like changes how you perceive sound compared to like how you would if you were listening on like a hi-fi system or like speakers or even in the car. Like I mean, I get way more fatigued by earbud listening than anything else. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think see, and that's where like I feel like 
within digital platforms, it would be awesome like if they had a button where it's like, are you listening on headphones, laptop, or is this hooked up to like a system? And they could, you know, it would then determine, the algorithm would determine this is the best playback for that system. Um, which I know that complicates things a little bit. But mm-hmm. with technology and, the, and algorithms, like you should be able to <coughs> figure that out, I feel like, now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's just, it's hard because there's so many like variables now. But at the same time, with the amount of resources we have, you would think we could, we could create something that we could send to like hundreds of thousands or millions of people. They could do a test in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we could at least have like, you know, however many 10 times the amount of data that we originally had to determine how people listen or how people perceive sound. Um, we could at least be moving forward in this as opposed to yeah. trying to um, use something that is just outdated or not even outdated, maybe just it was made for something else and we could have something new that's made for how like 90% of how people <coughs> consume music now, which is digital. Figure platforms. it this way. Yeah. This podcast as of today um, has over 3,500 downloads. Yeah. And it has been live for over a month. Right. If you only have 3,500 people, the 3,500 people who have downloaded this podcast, yeah. take this test. You have now ten times right. the amount of people who originally took the test. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's it's like how powerful this, like, like the internet use, using the internet to our advantage can be. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's nuts. So. I mean, I think you're right on with that first solution. I would love. I mean, even if that was the starting point, it's at least more tangible, more accurate and a better representation of where we are with music and loudness and playback. And it may not even be the right answer. Right, but it's that's a, the crazy it's thing. at least I would say 10x more accurate and more relevant to how yeah. to to the <laughs> conversation, to the atmosphere of the people loudness. who have downloaded this podcast are like greater by a factor of 10. Right. Than who took this original test? Exactly. I mean, like how I don't know how you would go about finding participants in 2004, early days of the internet. I highly doubt it was that. It was more than likely like a newspaper ad or something like that. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <clears throat> hey, you want fifty dollars? Exactly. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Like clickbait wasn't even a thing back then. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, this is like this is very like easy stuff. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, so this solution, is something. Go ahead. Just like to wrap, like this is something like we could do this week. Like we could take a poll of 400 people and like get their opinions on like a forum and that would probably be more comprehensive and accurate for today's standards than what we're using. We should do, um, just for the sake of argument on Instagram after this, Yeah, we should do a yes-no poll on... If created, would you help out um, creating a better like audio system? Yeah, like measuring system. Yeah, and just see how many people respond because it could be more than three hundred fifty. It could be. It might. So be. yeah, let's do it. We'll do that. So solution two. Yeah, moving on. Um, 
There's three parts of this, and this is my last solution. But this essentially tells anybody who wants to try this how to do it. Right. Um, essentially, this is uh, you're updating the replication method per the updated algorithm yeah. that you have now created, if this is the way that you wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, there are three stages to this application of how the data is obtained. <clears throat> Stage one, building. Um once a sufficient population size has been reached, which is subjective, but <laughs> should certainly be greater than 350, yeah. correlative data uh, should be available in such a quantity to create an algorithm which can then tell uh, when a source is too loud or too quiet based on the data collected Yeah, and in hopes that we will continue to collect. Yeah, uh, It is important to note that this algorithm should... Uh, not just turn up or down the volume of a source to a specified target range, uh, but based on the information, be able to attenuate source volume per the data uh, that has been collected. The difference in the two is the algorithm being able to determine uh, based on the information when the source volume is not pleasing. This is like quote-unquote. When it's not pleasing to the algorithm based on the information it has received yeah. from the other people <clears throat> and making the appropriate adjustment. Um <laughs> I have it a note at the end of this. With our current technology, I do not know how feasible this is. Right. You would essentially need to create something that uh, takes a correlation of data and says this is uh, this is not pleasing, or this needs to be more pleasing. Right. Which requires different attenuations. Right. Um, so stage two will then be self testing. <clears throat> this self test would be lining up a, an array of tests on different, in my opinion, binaural systems slash heads, which so far seem to be one of the most accurate ways to record and play back how humans listen and have the algorithm listen to sources uh, which were tested on participants to see if it makes attenuations which replicates the participants' attenuations. Yeah. Um, lots of words. Um, so, I mean, you could use binaural heads. You could use... You could even use the mics that they use for like room calibration software, yeah. not like basic, like simple, like uh, like RTA mics. But um, there's like there's this one this company has that's on Vintage King. It's like got these like three golden spikes or something like mm-hmm. that. That like they all like measure something. It's like this crazy expensive system. Yeah, but it's like it's, it's like measuring like certain characteristics of like. You're essentially it's re- responding to an algorithm, and it does right. it in a very accurate way. Right. So it's like I would like it'd be interesting to see what that says, and then what like if you were to do something on a binaural head. So this is like when I say like self test would be like an array of tests. Like it would be like tons of tests. Right. To see like okay, well, how scalable is this? In right. fact, right. Um, can we just use it on humans, or can we use it for future microphone generation or for right. future? Uh, monitoring and loudspeaker generation. Um, yep. <clears throat> so it's like this is like this is like a big thing that I right. don't think a lot of people are actually like delving into. It's like mm-hmm. people could make a lot more money on this besides making stupid plugins with their signature <laughs> right. on it. Yep. Than like than they actually realize. Right. Um, so comparative testing is stage three. Yeah. Um, this is essentially would be lined up as a strength test. Um, <clears throat> so stage three, this final test would be a strength test in that you would have a participant and the algorithm listen to the source at the exact same time, whether that's the same room or different rooms or yeah. whatnot. 
Um, but essentially, like, same time of day, same everything. Um, just because I think time of day does matter. Most yeah. tests it does. Yeah. Um, the preferred outcome would be that the two attenuation decisions would be nearly identical or fairly close to one another. <clears throat> and then the conclusion. Uh, this algorithm would be able to accurate would be accurate enough to move forward with a new generation of normalization uh, for the first time. Um, or I'm sorry, which for the first time would be evidence of how humans perceive sound. Uh, from this, you would be able to either one license the algorithm and update to all companies wishing to create a metering platform or uh-huh. two create your own metering platform and update it as you receive data yeah you could probably get a grant to cover all your costs <laughs> and more for this test so uh, if anyone's interested in doing this I highly I am highly interested yeah um, I don't think a grant would be hard to obtain with this especially um, if you have like something like AES or something behind this, right? Once again, I have no clue. I could be c- speaking completely out of my butt, and a rigid sphere could be the best thing that <laughs> humans have ever created to replicate the acoustic properties of the human head. Right. So, <clears throat> but even within that, the the test group and the way it was done is yeah. still could be drastically improved for not a ton of money, whilst. Like, you know, relative to what we're trying to accomplish. I feel like the only reason why this would not be retested yeah. is because people are like, yeah, but this kind of works. Right. That's yeah. the only reason, like, if someone, like, does not want to test it, they're like, yeah, but this kind of works already. And, right. like, we're already pretty far down the road. Yeah. So, like, we got to really change a lot. Like, th- that's why this is kind of like, like I said, like the whole, like, InfoWars thing because it's like the industry is moving this way but it's moving this way towards something that's wrong right so it could be like industry what, what's the word like industry shaking or something like that yeah i mean it like it definitely it, yeah di- disrupting that, yeah that, that's the word it definitely would change everything for the better but it would require everyone to get on board with this solution you have all these people who are like super hi-fi people who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on systems to make things work. Right. But yet they're using a flawed system. Right. And so, like I said in the very beginning, uh, if normalization is the future, we certainly should not half-ass it. Right. And I think that's how it's currently done. Right. I don't think that's how it, I don't think that the intent for how we are using it or uh, the the intent for how it was originally created is how it's currently being used. Right. And I mean Shoot, TV, whenever the commercial comes on, still louder than the dang program. Right, exactly. No one's learned a lesson. Right. No one's done anything. Right. So it's like, can we fix this mess? Exactly. Please? Yeah. So that's kind of my argument. Yeah. Um, If anyone has any comments, concerns, mass cries of outrage, (laughs) (laughs) um, please direct them at... Uh, me and not Sam. Please let my mastering <laughs> career hang in the balance and not Sam's. Um, but, I mean, as for now, I will be sticking with the RMS and Peak system. Yeah. I um, mean, that's what... I would love to switch. That's... But I mean, I still go me. off RMS for the most part. Like, I mean, I don't... The thing is, like, I'm not using LUFS because none of my clients will accept the what I deliver to them. 
I mean, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, if I drop it into the optimal playback for Spotify, it's like 10 dB lower than what they're hearing back. So it's like they don't trust that anything is actually happening. Oh, is that that Nugent plugin? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I've seen that plugin. Okay, because there's that where like you can set it to the appropriate for Spotify. Right. Yeah. And it'll do that, and it's like, but it's kind of funny. You master it to full scale, exactly, and then like the full volume, and then it's like, okay, well, let's just take all this off. It's like, but that's not how this process exactly. works. Yep. That's not how mastering works. Right. And that's I think is like. There's like so many layers into this issue, and it's gotten yeah. way complicated. And most people don't know anything about it, which is why I'm so glad we've done this episode. And um, my hope is that like this episode just starts a more conversation to like for people to go, "Oh, that's interesting that the the regulation we use was based on a test over 10 years ago that was based on 350 people, a lot of which experienced it in mono in a lab environment where no one listens to music that way anymore. And mm-hmm. then a rigid sphere was used. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, just saying that back, it's like... <laughs> we couldn't do any better, guys. Yeah, it would be like saying that all back it just goes, wow, like I don't, if I care about audio at all, if I want my music as an artist to sound good, like I'm going to be figuring out how can we improve this? How can I educate myself better? Or how can I work with people who actually understand this and not only work with them, but trust them? Like I think mm-hmm. that's the big thing with this is like I understand the insecurity of loudness and like, we're kind of talking about two different issues in the industry right now. One is loudness wars, which is a different issue than using LUFS for playback. Like those yes. are two different arguments and people have lumped them into one. And that's where I think the confusion is is loudness is something totally different than LUFS even though LUFS down stands for loudness units. <laughs> like it's Yeah. I understand the confusion. I understand the um, pressure to put a song out that is you know comparable volume to a next song and i think a lot of this is coming from labels when they get or A&R people when they get a bunch of songs in publishing companies i know this is an issue because i deal with it on a weekly basis where people say i need the publisher when they hear this song i need for it to stand out and what they mean by that is I need it to be louder than every other song in the 100 songs they're going to go through and determine if this is a good song or not that Keith yeah. Urban could cut. Like, And that's that, I think, is the issue is that you have, um, you have digital platforms that are playing back at volumes. And this is something no one talks about, which is these digital platforms are playing back at volumes that are much lower than like what you're what we used to listen to, like in your car, your CD goes up to like zero, zero, essentially. Like that's where it goes. But digital platforms like Spotify, I mean, they're always changing as well. But like, if you look at your metering, like Spotify max ceiling is like negative three, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like nobody's moaning about that where you technically have three more dB of ceiling output, like that could be used like to have playback, but, no one's talking about that. So I think that's the thing is like 
you have a lot of people who are sending songs off before they hit a digital platform to be reviewed. And so in that situation, the loudest song is going to stand out. Like, I can't deny that. Like, it mm-hmm. will stand out. But then once it hits how everybody's going to consume music, not everyone, 90 say 90% of people consuming music via iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Tidal, um, then your whole song is going to change, <laughs> you know, the way it's sound and processed and played back. But people don't understand that, and that's why, you know, a, a lot of the argument is, well, make multiple versions. Well, making multiple versions is so inconvenient. Mm-hmm. I've done that for people, and people... We're all human, but I've had people upload the wrong version to the wrong place, and then, yeah. you know, they're screwed. They have to go through the process, get it changed. And I just don't think, like, I don't think there's been enough clear, um, you know, clear podcasts, clear research papers, articles. There's not enough people in the industry right now fighting for what we're talking about, and what we're talking about is so important. Like it is, um, we're what we're talking about is we're trying to get people's music to sound the best it can across all platforms. Like that's what you and I are basically arguing for. Here's like, the thing, though. Yeah, and it's like if something doesn't change, it's yeah. literally because of like we've gone too far with it. Like this, mm-hmm. that's the only reason it won't change, right? Like, yeah. even on, I'm on, like, the merchandise for uh, AES. Yeah. And one of the things they're selling is a CD-ROM that is on perceptual audio for coders, what to listen for. Yeah. Like, the, like the, the whole thing that's over, like, the Audio Engineering Society is selling how people perceive sound. Right. Which all of this was based off of these tests. Right. See, that's nuts. I mean, I'd, like... <laughs> I don't get it. I know. <laughs> I only get it because somebody's making money. Like, there's exactly follow the money, and that's why it's still in place. Yeah, like it's too much. It's been in place for too long, and it's been sh- like there's been so much adaptation of this system that now at this point, it's almost. This is the other thing I think about too. It would be. I think so embarrassing if people knew about this. Like, oh yeah. Like if AES was like, oh yeah, uh, this is actually how we base this off of, and we're supposed to be the experts and leading authority on sound and like all things audio. It would essentially need to be people coming out and saying, yeah, we were wrong. Yeah, it'd be which like, people don't do right. It'd be a lot of the big guys that are selling plugins and companies selling you. Um, metering things and and essentially the way they're selling it is fear out of fear making you the public who's listening thinking my music won't sound the best or it won't play back right unless I buy this meter and fall within this uh, pretty coloring they've used to show that my music is now in the green instead of red like (laughs) like it's the whole the whole thing it's it would require those people who are leading our industry to finally go, you know what? Uh, this actually isn't helping us at all. And yeah. we'd like this to change it. It's doing more harm than it is We'd doing. like to change it for the future generations so that they can, um, you know, have their music playback the best it can and sound the best it can. Yeah. But they're not doing that. And I think 
even if they want to well, play... The question is, will they do that? Yeah, yeah, that too. I think even if they're playing the naive card of like, oh, we didn't know how the test was made, like, you know what, do your research. You're the authority, you're the expert, and you should you should look up like what you're promoting and how it was created. Like, I, I mean, the main reason why I looked into this is because I was like, huh, how do we perceive sound? Exactly. And I wanted to know more. Right. And then I'm like, rigid, what the hell? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, rigid, what? I just picture so, like you go to Michael's or Hobby Lobby and you buy one of those like styrofoam heads. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I picture. That would have been better. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> what I picture like kind of happening is they like, they carved out the ears in that thing. And, like, I mean, you would technically make a binaural head. Right. And they were like, ah, okay, uh, let's put a wig on it and some... Uh, <laughs> the wig is key. Yeah, exactly. You know, to simulate hair. And let's put some lipstick on it. This is a female test to see how females perceive <laughs> oh sound. Gosh. Like, that's essentially what they did. It re- at least that's how it reads to me, where they were like, we'll just, uh, we'll just create a rigid sphere and... Uh, and then that'll be what we decide everything is based off of instead of yeah. humans. <laughs> I mean, they sell rigid spheres. You don't even have to buy the human head. I feel like if they would have bought the human head, we would be a little bit further down this road, and I probably wouldn't have questioned it as much as I did. I mean, I looked this up in September, and <laughs> we're recording this in February. probably won't post <laughs> until May. <laughs> it's just like, what the heck, guys? What are we, what are we doing here? I know. So and it's like you literally have leaders of the industry, right? Being like, "This is the way." I know. Like, I think that's what's so frustrating is that I feel like everybody's being kind of duped, and unfortunately, no one's saying anything yet. So hopefully, you're using a system that was not intended for its application, its current application. Yeah, yeah. That's. Yeah, so that's what I hope. Like this podcast starts the conversation for everybody that's listening today. Like, a do your own research, fact check yeah. us, please comment on it. Um, there's always two sides to every story. Fully aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Matthew and I. Well, I'm going to speak for Matt for me only. Like, this is something that really bugs me because I feel like people aren't getting the best in product. Um, so I'm pretty biased on the system we're using right now I think is not good but it's all we have so um but yeah just I want this to like start the conversation of you know how do we improve this how do we get better and how do we start implementing um a new algorithm or new solution so that people can um just focus on making great music and not have to worry about playback <coughs> and normalization and loudness and Am I using the right meter or not? And yeah, am I not gonna? Is my music not going to be heard by the public if I don't use this system? Like, I think that's the other thing. Is like this is this is something very technical and important, but it also at the same time, there's been plenty of songs I've heard that are terrific that I'm sure get passed up because they're not smashed to death. You know, mm-hmm. in a list of songs. Um, and I would put money on that just based on my experience of the conversations I have and the requests I get from people about, mm-hmm. like, this song needs to be louder than that song uh, so we can turn it into the label because <laughs> the label's asking for that. Like, I mean, that's that's real life. 
that happens That's it. to me. <laughs> so, you know, I just want people to have the best sounding music they can. So I'm just so glad, Matthew, that you did all that research for us. I, I mean, I hope, I hope it wasn't in vain, and I hope that... Um, that we can do something and that, I mean, a change can be made. Yeah. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe steps have already been taken in the right direction. I have not seen them. Um, I mean, people still think the way that they do about that this is how humans perceive audio. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, all this test only proved how a rigid sphere perceives audio. Yeah. So <clears throat> in correlation with less than 350 people yeah. representing the whole world. So, right. Yeah. I just not really jiving with me. Yeah. So well, excellent. Any, I, yeah. I think we covered it. Like, I feel good <clears throat> about that. I'm surprised we covered it. <laughs> you know, it's it's a starting place. It's a starting point yeah, for is. us. So. Yeah, it is. So if you have any comments, questions, or concerns about today's episode, please let us know. We would love if you would like or subscribe to our podcast as that helps us uh, drastically get in front of more people so they can hear about these things that will help us all do better in music. Uh, Yeah, so I think that's about it. The LUFS system we've talked all about today. Do your own research once again and let us know what you think about it. Yeah, don't take our word for it. Yeah, we may be lying. (laughs) Just kidding, we're not. But for everybody out there, whatever you're having, morning, noon, night, have a good one. As Sam says, have a good one. Have a good one. I'm going to cue the music. (laughs) I won't be told to cue it. I'm doing it myself today. (laughs) You cue it, Sam. Ah, Cueing. (laughs) 